Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Joshua chapter 2. That's where we are this morning. As we continue our series, Promised Land Living, looking at the book of Joshua, chapter 2 is where we are. Here's the key concept this morning. God's grace is greater. Greater than anything we face, anything we know. God's grace is greater. We'll see that in the story that unfolds before us in Joshua chapter 2. Really, it is a spy story. And we love spy stories. Spy stories intrigue us, whether it's Jason Bourne or James Bond or Mission Impossible, whatever it is. Spy stories are fascinating, behind enemy lines, undercover, danger at every turn. We love spy stories. It's not surprising, therefore, that in Washington, D.C., one of the most popular attractions today is what's called the Spy Museum. Recently, they relocated to be in a bigger facility because the crowds are coming. In it, you can find out about spies. You can enroll your kids in spy camp. You can see all kinds of spy paraphernalia on display. Wristwatch camera from 1949. The glove pistol from 1945. The cigarette lighter camera from 1950. The lipstick pistol from 1965. And from the mid-60s, an item called the rectal tool kit. It's advertised as an unconventional way to hide escape tools. I would say so. (laughs) But this morning we're going to talk about a spy story that has nothing to do with spy equipment. In fact, the spy story we're going to look at really doesn't focus on the spies at all. It's all about the woman that the spies meet in Jericho, Rahab. Chapter 2, verse 1 starts like this. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute, Rahab, and stayed there. Joshua sends two spies to scout out the situation. The bulk of the nation are still on the other side of the Jordan River. Joshua knows he has conquest ahead of him, and he wants to find out if there's any weaknesses How can he plan his battle strategy? And the spies first encountered Jericho, which is a city about five miles uh, west of the Jordan River. And what they find in the city Jericho is they, they come up against a city that is ancient. It has been established since 7,000 B.C. It is now about 1,400 B.C. This city is protected by gigantic double walls, It has an ancient civilization. It has a well-formed army. 
and it is well supplied. The, the harvest is in. And as they go into that city to kind of begin to understand uh, what's, what's going to need to happen, they go to a house uh, of a prostitute, probably because they thought no one would be surprised about these men going in and out there. And her house was located next to the wall. Archaeologists have discovered, as we have unearthed Jericho, that between the two walls there, were, there was housing that was built, very often, as in Rahab's case, using one of the walls as one of the, the walls of the structure. Now, you need to understand that this is the low-rent district. This is where people who really couldn't afford to live anywhere else lived because when you live between the walls, you are in a more vulnerable position. The protected folks inside two walls are, are, are more secure. But that's where um, Rahab was living. And there she plied her trade as a prostitute in this low-rent district. As I said, the focus of this story is not on, Rahab, not on the spies, however. It really is all about Rahab. You could lift Joshua chapter 2 out of the book and you would lose nothing of the progress of the big point of the book of Joshua and that is the children of Israel entering the land. The big story wouldn't be affected at all if this, this chapter was gone. But God wants to stop us in our progress of understanding that big story of the book of Joshua so that we can pause and focus on one woman. And that woman is Rahab. This is not the only place in the Bible where she's mentioned. She is declared to be a righteous woman in Hebrews 11.31 and again in James 2.25. And as Matthew outlines for us the genealogical line of Jesus Christ, Rahab is part of his family. Pretty good legacy for a woman who we first meet as a prostitute in a pagan city. And here's where we need to pause for a moment and notice together the transformational power of the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of God. See, Rahab is ready to turn to the faith in the one true God. And what she finds when she turns to faith in the one true God is that God's grace is greater, greater than her background, greater than her locality, greater than her profession, greater than her lifestyle, greater than her need. We notice her readiness to say yes to the one true God in this story. We also notice that her espionage skills are well advanced of the espionage skills of the spies. These are the most inept spies you'll ever see. They are the worst spies of all time. Why? Because it seems that as they go into the city of Jericho, everybody knows that they're there. From people on the street all the way up to the king. Let's, let's keep reading. Verse 2. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. So much for traveling incognito. I mean, they might have had t-shirts printed, now spying for Joshua. Everybody knew they were there. Rahab, on the other hand, turns out to be quite the deceiver. Good verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. At dusk, 
When it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. So go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under stalks of flax she laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. The king is totally hoodwinked by Rahab's made-up story. On the spot, she comes up with a story. I don't know where they were from, and I don't know where they went, but you can probably catch them, get going. And the king totally buys it. And the people uh, chase after the spies. And it raises a question for us, really, a moral question. And the question is, is the Bible teaching us here that it is okay to lie? She lied. Is that all right? Is that the lesson? That's not the lesson. Remember, the text reports the lie without supporting the lie. Here is a Bible principle that all Bible readers need to understand. The Bible does not support everything the Bible reports. Now, to be fair, she was in a tight spot. None of her choices were good. I mean... She could have turned the spies over, but then no doubt they would have been executed, probably tortured for information. And she would have placed herself in opposition to the God that she knows is going to be victorious. So rather than that, she lied. But don't think for a moment that God needed her to lie. God is able to protect his own. He could have solved it some other way. However, she did what comes naturally to her. But it shows us another little insight, and that is this. God uses broken vessels to achieve his victories. And he still does. And we should be glad, because that's all of us. All of us have done things that were against God's moral program. All of us are imperfect in one way or another, yet God still wants to use us in the plan that he has for unfolding his will in the world. He has victories in mind. He doesn't wait till you're perfect to use you. But let's read on in the story. Verse 8. So before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is the God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now... Then please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Now we see the motivation that Rahab had for protecting the spies that she identified as Israelites. She was aware of the journey of the Israelites. She was aware of the miraculous work that God has done for his people. And the fact that it is obvious that the one true God is fighting for them She has come to fear the God of the Jews more than the wrath and the anger of her own people in terms of her betrayal. 
Rahab reports to us what the people of the land are thinking. The people have heard of Israel's conquest. They have heard and they fear them. Most importantly, they realize they're protected by Israel's God. And for Rahab, this is not just a casual information, just a casual story in the news. Rahab makes it personal. She says something totally surprising in that little speech that she gives. And it's surprising the way that she refers to Israel's God. She uses the covenant name of God to refer to the God of the Jews. Now, the way it would have been printed in, in, the, in the Old Testament, the, the way that the scribes would have put it down, would have been in the form of a made-up word. And what it would have done is this. They take the consonants from the word that God revealed as his name to Moses at the burning bush that we pronounce Yahweh. They take the consonants of that word and they take the vowels of the, of the Hebrew word that means Lord, Adonai, and they smash these two words together and come up with a totally new word. And that's the word that they use to refer to the one true God of Israel, the covenant God of Israel. And that word we pronounce as Jehovah. Okay? And they use that word, made up word, so that they never, out of reverence, actually say the true name of God. And that's the word that's represented all through Rahab's speech. Rahab is referring to God, not in the sense of a Canaanite who has heard about the Israelites' God, but as one who knows the Israelites' God, who's on the way to faith in the Israelites' God. She's making it personal. It's not a name that a Canaanite would use unless that was happening. And her conclusion over all of this is the one true God is the God of heaven and earth. and We are aware of it. She uses the word we in verse 11. Not exactly sure if that means others also are coming to faith. Maybe her family that, that she's wanting protected and so forth. But you have to understand that the reasons that the story about the Israelites' journey and how God gave them victory and miraculous miraculous triumph over enemies and so forth, the reason that that was so meaningful to the Canaanites as they heard that story was that they believed in what we call territorial deities. In other words... They said, you know, the God that we worship, the goddess, the, the pagan, the pagan uh, God, he or she is active in this particular place. So our gods are active here. This is why many of the city-states were willing to go fight the Israelites on their own turf. Why? Not only because they were patriotic and they wanted to protect their city, but because they believed this is our God's territory. And our God will be able to protect us in this territory. But when they hear about the Israelites' journey through the wilderness, and they hear about the the victories and the battles that they're facing and so forth, it becomes pretty obvious that the God of the Israelites knows no boundaries. He's able to give them victory everywhere, all along the way. And Rahab is coming to the awareness that the God of the Jews is the God of everywhere, the God of heaven and the God of earth. And so what she's doing is more than just protecting uh, herself and her family. She is converting to a new faith. And she is following the example of what the author to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 11, verse 6. 
And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. She has come to believe that there is a God of the heaven and the earth that is not bound by space. And she has sought after him and he has rewarded her by coming to her, sending these spies to to come into a relationship with her. She is lost and she is doomed and she recognizes that. And in the midst of that recognition, she, she knows that she needs the one true God. So she asks for protection. She asks that since she has turned to God in faith, that she is not among those who are destroyed in the coming judgment because the people of Jericho are under condemnation. Make no two ways about it. God has pronounced judgment on these people. The Canaanite city states that the Israelites will be battling against are not doomed because of their race. What we see in the conquest of the land is not ethnic cleansing. And the Israelites are not just any invading force. At this moment in history, they are the arm of the judgment of God. Having chosen to know about the one true God, to hear about all that he has done, but yet reject him and push him away and stay connected to the worship of idols in a depraved way of living. Even though that's true, and even though Rahab is part of that civilization, I want you to recognize that the very first person that we meet who is willing to turn her heart toward God, who is willing to say yes to his reality and searching for a relationship with him, that very first person we see, God reaches out and God saves her. God is not haphazard. God is not arbitrary. God is not calloused. He sees us individually. He knows us by name. And God saw Rahab's readiness to say yes to faith. And everything ground down. The whole thing was paused so that the spies could reach her. She was in a pretty humbling situation. A prostitute living in the wrong end of town in a city that's about to be destroyed. But it's exactly that humility that was needed for her to stop and to turn to God. It's exactly what we're called to do. Promised land living is living with humility. It's not trying to do it all by ourselves, all for ourselves, but recognizing we can't and turning to grace that it's always greater. And that's what Rahab does. And so the spies make a promise to her that they'll protect her. Look at verse 14. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. And the spies make that promise, and then they go and they report to Joshua. Now, she has some, uh, something to do as well to make sure she's kept safe. As I read it, it kind of seems to me as if the spies either are carrying or have access to a red rope. Because they they give her this red cord and they say, we want you to hang this out of the window of your home that evidently is built into the wall. We want you to hang that out so that we know where you and your family are. So when the, the, the conquest begins, we're going to leave you alone. And that's her side of the deal and that's exactly what she does. We'll see that later. But the spies go back and they report to Joshua. And if you go to verse 23, you see the report that they give. It says, Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, fording the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. 
They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. The conquest can begin. We are looking pretty good here. People have heard about our victories and are trembling in fear. Now what's interesting for us, as we have read ahead in the book, is we recognize that the spies' mission and their report was not necessary at all when it came to the city of Jericho. Most, uh, Joshua, it turns out, doesn't need their battle plan or their information. God will fight for him against Jericho. That's in our next installment as we continue later on. But there are a few points that we should take away from this story for ourselves. And point number one is this. Please notice with me how the spies turn out to be missionaries. Looking back at the story, they were the most inept spies ever, but really spying was not what they were all about. They thought they were gathering information for Joshua, and they probably concluded that this meeting with this woman, Rahab, that was a happy coincidence. We were were able to hide, and she was on our side. But in reality, they were being used by God to allow the love of God to break through to this woman. That's what this mission was all about. To them, it might have seemed like just kind of happenstance, but it wasn't. God was orchestrating the details. This was a divine appointment between Rahab and the spies. They did not understand the assignment that they really had, but God was working through them. And I say it that way for you who are followers of Jesus Christ today. You are on assignment as it were, behind enemy lines, in occupied territory, in a culture that has heard the story of the one true God, has heard now the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, pushes it away. And you are right there behind enemy lines, and your assignment is what their true assignment was. Represent God. You may think you're here to graduate school or to make a living or to raise a family or to enjoy your retirement. But that's not the full picture. Just like the spies, there is a greater assignment to spread the message of the one true God and the love of Jesus Christ. And that is your assignment, and you should do it even when you don't want to. And there will be times maybe you don't want to. I get that. That is illustrated in the story of two men, John and Mike. They were both sailors. They were both on the same ship in the Navy. And Mike was coming off a long shift, a duty shift, and he went to his bunk totally exhausted. And he just was just trying to close his eyes, trying to get some sleep, and he saw John walk by, dressed, ready to go to his duty shift. And something caught Mike's eye that was totally different. John was carrying a Bible. And Mike thought to himself, what what is that all about? He knew that John wasn't interested in spiritual things. And he walked away, and Mike kind of rolled over, but he had a nagging thought in the back of his mind. And the nagging thought was, you should get up and talk to John, see what's going on. And Mike understood that this was a prompting from the Lord to to, to go and talk to John. But he resisted. He said, you know, I'm tired. I don't even know where he's stationed on the ship. You know, I'll talk to him tomorrow. But that thought continued. And finally, he surrendered to that idea. He, he got up out of his bed. It took him 45 minutes to find John where he was posted. All the while, he was grumbling and arguing and tired and impatient. 
But finally he found him, and these were the first words he said. He said, I don't know why I'm here. I should be in bed. But I had the idea that God wanted me to talk to you right now. And John turned to him and said, are you a Christian? And Mike said, yes. And tears started to roll down John's cheeks. He said, I have screwed up. I have made a mess of my life. And I've been asking God all day, God, let me meet a Christian. So tell me about Jesus. That was the divine appointment. And the appointment was from, for right then, right there. John was ready to meet his Savior. And Mike was ready to operate behind enemy lines, to turn into a missionary. And that's exactly what God wants us to do, we who know Christ as personal Savior. And it all starts with saying yes. Yes to the moment. Yes to the, yes to the idea. Not hesitating. Not holding back. Someone once said, aren't you glad the world is a better place? Because Michelangelo didn't say, I don't do ceilings. <laughs> it's about saying yes to whatever the next task is that God places before us. And we're able to be in line for the appointment he makes. Secondly, the message of Rahab is that no one is ever too far gone. You are never out of reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? His grace is always greater. Luke 19 says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Have confidence in the power of the good news. Have confidence in the ability of the gospel to change the most desperate life. Not too long ago, I was with the folks of Celebrate Recovery. And they, they have a t-shirt. And on the back of their t-shirt, uh, they, they illustrate the lives of the people that God used as his spies behind enemy lines this way. It goes like this. It's close. At least says, Noah was a drunk. Jacob was a liar. Moses had a speech impediment, Samson was a womanizer, David an adulterer, Elijah suffered from depression, Job went bankrupt, Peter denied even knowing Jesus, and Martha struggled with an anxiety disorder. Lazarus was quite literally dead. <laughs> Yet all of them turned out to represent Jesus, to represent the Lord. God uses the unlikely. And why does he use the unlikely? Because his grace is always greater. It's greater than your past. It's greater than your problems, your self-image. It's greater than your reputation, all the gossip that's going around about you. God's grace is greater than that gossip. It's greater than your failures. God's grace. You're never too far gone for God to reach. He always can redirect your life. Thirdly, God reveals himself to those who seek him. Because the love of God is not limited. Here's what you need to know. God does not have a type. This was a pagan woman, a pagan prostitute who was having a softening heart, a ready heart. And God saw that and God reached down to her. God always knew that Joshua's spy mission was a waste of time. God always understand that the information, understood that the information that they were going to bring back would have no bearing on the battle against Jericho. It was a useless mission according to that. But in heaven's eyes, this was an essential mission. Because Rahab was ready. And God is always responding to those who are turning to him. This was a divine appointment with Rahab. And God is still keeping divine appointments today. And he will keep a divine appointment with you. No matter your need, no matter your situation. As you turn to him, God always gives one answer. And it is yes. Because he loves you. And he cares about you.
Seek him, and he will be found. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us so much. We thank you that even though sometimes we misevaluate the situation, we don't know exactly what's going on or what you're doing. You are always working. And Lord, we want to be a part of that work. For some of us, the message of your grace reminds us that we right now are not too far gone, and Lord, we want to turn to you. For others of us, the message of your grace is that we have found the grace, and now we need to be grace givers to other people. But no matter what side of the coin we're on, Lord, we thank you that you are always with us. You're always caring, and you respond in amazing ways. We love you, and we declare your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The team is here for a closing song. Would you stand as we sing together? God's grace truly is amazing. remind you that as the service comes to a conclusion, we have prayer counselors next to the organ by the table who are waiting to pray with and for you because it might very well be that you are the one with a divine appointment today to come to say yes to the love of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness he offers or to come into a new level of relationship with the God who loves you or whatever it is, they will pause and pray with and for you. You simply slip forward 
as others leave. But first, let's all pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that even though we're here as a big group, you know us by name and you see us individually. And Lord, you have called us to represent you well. So we pray in the week ahead we will do just that in our words, in our actions, in our thoughts, the things that just make us uh, fill our week. We pray that we are able in that place to point to Jesus and that through us, people will see the love of our Lord. Thank you, Lord. Dismiss us with your blessing, for we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.